Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, uh, wonderful musician, comp- composer, electric violinist, and, and so much else. Uh, Joe Denenzone is our very special guest, and he will be performing live for folks that are in and around New York City on October 31st. Uh, Halloween, of course, and that will be at the Sonic uh, Voyage Fest, if I have it right. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How's my information? Is that that correct? You're going to be on Halloween. You're going to be in New York City? Yes, we'll be playing at the Shrine on uh, 134th, I'm sorry, 133rd Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. It's our regular venue. We love to play there, and we're doing our CD release with uh, two other great bands, um, Ad Astra and Van Davis. And we're calling it Night of the Living Shred, because it is Halloween night after all. Yeah. Well, listen, congratulations on, on the new record. Everything I hear from it is great. Uh, and Thank you, you. You're getting rave reviews. Uh, let, let's do a little bit of your history for people who don't, uh, who don't know an awful lot about you. Uh, they're missing out. Trust me, they're missing out, because what you do, you do very well. And you happen to do a lot of things very well. But where did it all start out for you? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Uh, I was actually born in St. Petersburg, Russia. And my family immigrated when, when I was four. And my dad is a violinist. He won a job with the Cleveland Orchestra, which is one of the greatest orchestras around. And uh, that's how we ended up settling in Cleveland. That's where I grew up. And Cleveland has a great uh, cultural scene and a great music scene. I had a lot of good teachers growing up there. It's a good place to be a kid. And um, so what else do you need to know? <laughs> well, I, I mean, the... The idea that you're growing up around music, it's, uh, it's not hard to see where you get your, your influences. But outside of your family, outside of your father, uh, any early musical instruments that you, uh, or influences, I should say, that you can point uh, out uh, growing up in Cleveland? Well, uh, my parents were both strictly classical musicians. My mother's a pianist, and uh, they kind of run out of music school out of their house. So my dad will be teaching violin lessons in one room, and my mom will be teaching piano lessons in the other. So there's constantly a cacophony of sound in, in my house. <laughs> and people coming in and out. And I studied violin and piano when I was young, and I, I, I kept with the violin. Um, but I, I was an immigrant kid, and violin wasn't considered that cool in my school, unfortunately. And I wanted to fit in, and I got really into pop culture. And, you know, this was the 80s. You know, I was watching MTV, listening to the radio. And, you know, eventually I, I wanted to, uh, I had a, this rock star fantasies, you know, and I wanted to connect with people, and I loved to perform. So I, I taught myself electric bass. Because it has four strings like a violin. How hard could it be, right? Yeah. So um, I, I taught myself bass. I, I started singing and writing songs and uh, eventually taught myself guitar. And um, in high school, I discovered jazz. Uh, I played in a high school jazz band, specifically playing bass. And um, all this time, and I had a, a rock band where I played guitar. And I had a parallel life where I would go to my classical violin lessons and go to class, play in classical youth orchestra. Um, at one point, those wor- worlds converged. I got asked to uh, perform with Michael Stanley, who was a local Cleveland celebrity. He's kind of like a Bob Seger, who's big in the Midwest, but isn't that well known outside of the Midwest. He has a huge following in Cleveland. He has he pe- packs like 20,000 seat arenas. You know, So I got to perform, sit in with his band on the violin when I was 16. And I had never, he, he heard me play at school because his daughter went to my school. And I'd never improvised <coughs> on the violin up to that point. But I learned how to how to play blues and rock and roll on the bass and the guitar. So on those instruments, that I, I knew the language. It was just a matter of transferring it to the violin. And right around that time, I, I was introduced to uh, John Luponti, Stefan Grappelli, and later Jerry Goodman, some of the great jazz and rock violinists. 
And uh, I, I had a moment of epiphany when I heard Jerry Goodman. I'm like, violin, I, I've been playing that instrument since I was five years old. And there's a lot of great guitar players out there. I don't know a lot of violinists playing rock and, and doing this kind of stuff. And this is really what I want to do. So that, that's kind of, in, in a nutshell, how it came about. Well, listen, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's always interesting to hear how someone who does something very well uh, got there. Uh, let me remind folks that are just tuning in or turning on their radios just now. Frank McKay here. More importantly, we are talking to Joe Denison, And you can hear him live. You can hear him live on October 31st in uh, in Manhattan, and you can catch him there. We'll give the information as we go along. Actually, Joe, give it once again. Give your uh, your location where you're going to be on the 31st. The Night of the Living Shred is. Uh, um, go ahead. It start, the evening starts at 8 p.m. Uh, it's at the Shrine, which is 2271 Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard at 133rd Street corner. Um, the first band is Ad Astra, which is an awesome band. Uh, then Van Davis is playing, led by... Uh, one of our previous guitarists, Jake Ezra. Um, and then we go on at 10 o'clock, and it's going to be wild. We might have some giveaways, maybe some costume parties, uh, costume contests or something like that. We haven't figured it out yet. We're going to have a night full of surprises. Uh, and uh, we'll be playing all, all of, most, if not all, of the new record live and some of our older material. Might have some special guests. So it's going to be um, Tuesday, October 31st, starting at 8 p.m. at the Shrine. Once again, Frank McKay here. Uh, with Joe Denison, and I, you, you mentioned John Luponte and uh, a French violinist, and I, he's the guy I always think of when when I when I think of or I hear electric violin, and he's just the name that comes to mind for me. And I'm 50 years old; I'm a little older than you, so I, you know maybe that's where um, you know that's where I get it from is is, is just genera- uh, generationally. But John Luponte to me change the whole idea that a violin could be used in fusion and, and jazz and everything else. It was him who stood out to me. Uh, I don't know I don't know my history all that well, or maybe I do and, and I just don't know it, but uh, what does John Luc Ponte uh, mean to the electric, uh, electric violin? I mean, is he the father of it? Is he the you know, godfather of it? What, where does he stand when it comes to electric violin? Well, you know, the first electric violin um, came about in the 1930s, and it was played by Ray Nance uh, from Duke Ellington Band. And then Fender had their own electric violin that they came out with in the early 50s. So it's been around as long as the electric guitar has, you know. But um, Jean-Luc Ponty was the first mainstream artist that brought it to the collective consciousness. And it really was a revolutionary in that respect. And he definitely is the father or grandfather, if you will, of the electric violin. And since then, there's been quite a lot of electric violinists that, that came on the scene. Um, you know, Jerry Goodman, Sugar Payne Harris, uh, Didier Lockwood, um, Mark Wood, Tracy Silverman, uh, Val Vigoda. I can go on and on. There's a lot of great players. But again, and of course, there's uh, Lindsey Sterling that everybody knows, uh, Boyd Tinsley, and all, all these mainstream uh, performers. Um, but still, when you think, compare it to how Many great, you know, electric, well-known electric guitarists that are out there. Um, there's very few violin idols <laughs> well, in the rock and pop world, so it's still a, a, a new thing. And every time I play, I go out with an electric violin. I still get people asking me, "What is that instrument? What is that instrument?" So we're not there yet, no. uh, but we're getting there. <laughs> but it, it is a great sounding instrument, and certainly the way you play it and John Luc Ponte uh, plays it, it's uh, it, it certainly stands out. How much of your time do you spend on the violin? Like in, in a set, is it uh, is it half? 
is it because uh, you play multi uh, instruments, right? Multiple instruments. Uh, uh, what what percentage uh, do you have the violin in your hand? The whole night. I, I might play mandolin on one or two songs, but it's the concept is you know when you think of some of my favorite guitarists like Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, John Mayer. All these guys, they're great. Eric Clapton, they're primarily known as instrumentalists, but they're all singing on their records, you know. Um, but they're wailing away with the guitar the whole night. So that was sort of my, my idea, um, how I wanted to present myself, is to be a vocalist, but but mainly do all this amazing, try to do this cool virtuoso stuff on the violin and put it into a good song and, and have songs with hooks that people can sing along with, but really feature the electric violin and explore different uh, ter- un- hopefully uncharted territory on it as well. Well, uh, let me remind yeah. folks once again uh, who are tuning in late, you're hearing the voice of Joe Denazone, and uh, and he has been called the Jimi Hendrix of the electric violin, and, uh, you know, it's uh, aptly named, uh, or aptly uh, uh, nicknamed, I should say. Uh, how soon did that start happening? I mean, I, I always, and this is the first time you and I are talking, but that's, that's always what I heard of you. Everyone says, oh, the Jimi Hendrix of this. Uh, <laughs> when did you first start hearing that? You know, it was really funny. Um, I uh, was I went to school at Indiana University. I'm actually performing in Indiana two shows this week um, in Elkhart and Fort Wayne. But um, one night I was soloing with the jazz band. I think it was a Herbie Hancock tune, and I, I played some crazy solo. And then so, uh, some guy, I think he was a janitor or a custodian there, walked by and said, man, you're the Jimi Hendrix of the violin. And next thing I know, someone wrote it in the journal. I thought it was hilarious. And somehow it just kind of, people kept quoting that and writing it in, in other interviews. And uh, it, it was, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I feel, you know, ashamed comparing myself, uh, daring to compare myself to someone like Jimi Hendrix. Well, but, the, the uh, good yeah. thing is that you're not comparing yourself everybody else's, which is fine. You get a pass because it's, it's not quite flatter. It's quite flattering to say the least, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, but, uh, good job with it. And you're a humble guy and, uh, and, and you don't necessarily need to be a uh, very talented guy. Uh, again, another reminder, uh, Joe Denizone is our very special guest. Uh, Joe, we spoke uh, to you, uh, you know, earlier about uh, about your early childhood and you kind of got into that and uh, moving to Cleveland and growing up in Cleveland and so forth. Uh, what about professionally? Uh, we haven't really gotten into it too much. Uh, if, if you want to consider it a, a discovery point, I mean, when do you consider yourself uh, having been recognized at first uh, as a professional, as a professional musician? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I, I moved to New York to do my master's in music and uh, with the idea of working in New York and being a freelancer on the scene. Uh, so in the late 90s, I, I moved here in 97. I just actually celebrated 20 years living in New York or in, the, in the area. And uh, I just started, I was hungry. I started picking up every gig I could. So I guess I, that's when I started working professionally. And then it eventually uh, I started making enough to, to get by on, you know. Um, but uh it's the question is how do you how do you define success is success making a living doing what you love to do or having more of a choice um being able to turn some things down i guess that's the next level and and um getting to the point where you you could choose the best situations and the best people you like to work with um and i started doing every gig i, I, I would do weddings parties bar mitzvahs I, I would teach um and i i there was nothing really i really disliked but my ultimate goal was to be able to do more and more creative work, do sessions for different artists, do string sessions, um, do commercials, and develop my own act and my own sound and be able to uh, 
make money off of that. So it, it's, it's a long journey. Um, but I, I guess I, I could say I've been working professionally as a musician for about two decades now. Yeah. Well, listen, it's a, it's a nice thing. And there's so many people out there uh, trying to make it in music and, and you know, and uh, they know how difficult if they're listening to this, they know how difficult it is. And, you know, unless you teach full time, it's uh, it's extraordinarily different, difficult to make uh, a living as a jazz musician and and so forth. Uh, let, let's talk about your, your dad a little bit. All right. He uh, he went in, he went the symphony route. And there are so many musicians that go that route. And I, I ask this not as a rhetorical question, but as a, as a serious question. Uh, how, how difficult is it or, or what kind of living can someone make as a symphony uh, player? You know, whether it's violin or, or you know, some of, the, uh, some of the brass instruments or uh, what, what kind of living can one make uh, in, a, in a large symphony? Um, you could do very, very well. Um, there's different levels of orchestras. You know, there are the... The uh, smaller orchestras, the part-time orchestras that might have like less than 30 weeks a season. And a lot of those, pe those people make around 50 grand a year less um, and they supplement it with a lot of teaching. Um, but if you get into the big orchestras like Boston, LA, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, San Francisco, you know, those orchestras pay six-figure salaries. And if you're a principal, you can make... Uh, hundreds of thousands per year, you know, so, but those are very hard jobs to land. And in order to even be considered to audition, you have to have a track record of starting out in the smaller orchestras or basically exclusively doing classical music. And you're paying, your, um, you're really paying your dues when you, when you do that, because you're struggling financially and, and you're really supplementing with, and I'm just, I'm speculating here, but you're, uh, you're supplementing with, with teaching tremendous amount of teaching and, um, and, and people still teach. I mean, people at the at the high position still teach. They just they can charge more for lessons, or they get positions at Juilliard or some other conservatory. You know, um, and the teaching is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very hard. And a lot of the um, it's, to land an orchestra audition, sometimes you have to beat out three hundred people, and it has to. It's a very tough um, thing to do, and you have to play a certain way, and you have to play perfectly. You have, you have to be having a very good day. And the people on the committee have to be in, in a mindset where, you know, or they'll be looking for a specific kind of player, which you may not be, even if you're great, you know. So it's a lot of subjective stuff. It's, it's, it's like winning the lottery to some degree. Yeah. And Joe Denizone is our very special guest. We've got a couple moments left with Joe. And uh, again, he will be performing in New York City. And, uh, and I'm going to ask him for a website where people can kind of follow along with what he's doing on October 31st, the uh, Night of the Living Shred. And you'll, you'll understand why, if you haven't heard his playing, you'll understand why they're calling it that. Uh, absolutely wonderful stuff. And his, uh, you know, his solo work and, and, and so much of his other work with, uh, uh, you know, different projects, uh, you know, very well regarded, always highly uh, critically acclaimed. Uh, Joe, give a website give us some place where uh, somebody can kind of follow along with what you're doing and uh, social media side as well. Sure. Well, um, Joe Denonzone.com, D E N I N Z O N. Um, that's sort of the central hub for all my projects. Um, there's also my band Stratospherius, um, S T R A T O S P H E E R I U S. And uh, I have a, a Facebook and a Twitter account and Instagram uh, just look up my name. Um, same with Stratospherius. 
You can also find us on MelodicRevolutionRecords.com. That's our label that, that has the new CD and some of our back catalog. MelodicRevolutionRecords.com. Um, that's the easiest one to spell, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's choices. And, and we're, you know, we're on YouTube and all that stuff. So. How, how long were you in, in Russia? I know you were born there. Were you, did you come over as a baby? And I know you said it, but just to refresh my memory. Um, how... I was born there, and, and we came over when I was four years old. Okay. So... Culturally, I, I I feel very American, but I you know I'm in touch with my Russian roots. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I I grew up in the Midwest. You know, I'm an Indians fan. As heartbreaking yeah. as that is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't don't worry. They're they're the next on the list. I mean, the Cubs broke through, right? The Red Sox broke through. Um, you never it, know. You know uh, year, years before that, but the, uh, listen, the Indians got a good organization over there. Something tells me. Uh, something tells me you'll be getting uh, getting your brass ring uh, in, in in a little while. You'll be getting your rings uh, sooner or later, as long as they don't fall off. I, I'll tell you, there's been some good Indians team. They just uh, they they just never pushed it over the top. That's the yeah. That's the Cleveland thing. You know, in basketball and baseball and in every sport, we there's a. It's hard being a Cleveland sports fan. Let's just say that. Well, you <laughs> but, know, just speaking of that for a second, I, I mean, Cleveland. I, I was just in Cleveland uh, over the summer, and I spent a couple of days there, and I checked out the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I thought was great. I just thought it was terrific. I checked out the stadiums. I saw the uh, the a Cleveland, uh, you know, an Indian game, and then I, I did a walkthrough on there uh, on the. Uh, on the Brown Stadium, but it really is a beautiful city. But you get slammed all the time, and it was it was Letterman it's, who was killing, uh, <laughs> killing Cleveland been, all the time. But go ahead. It's been the butt of many jokes, unfortunately. But um, I'm I'm a staunch defender of Cleveland, and any people that go there realize what a cool little city it is. It is it, it, not too uh, not too uh, small either, but it's nice. It's just a, it's a very cool, very cool place. Uh, look, it's it's different than New York. There's no question about it. But it's uh, sure. it's really uh, it, it really gets. Um, it gets a bad rap, and everyone listening should check it out. If nothing else, check out the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You've been there, Absolutely. right? You've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, I've actually played there many years ago with an early version of Stratospherius. We performed in the main area there, um, which was incredible. And uh, I haven't been back there in a long time. i got to go hang out there again. <laughs> it's a great place to, to lose yourself for a day, Look, they especially did a, if you're a music fan. Yeah, they did a good job yeah. with it. I... I I was almost ashamed of myself, like going in thinking, "Oh, this is corporate. This is sellout. Whatever." As soon as I started looking at the exhibits, I was like, "No, they did a great job with it, and it's uh, it's extraordinary what they did with it." And but I I went in there as a cynic. I just thought it was going to be silly, you know. I thought it was going to be whatever, and it was anything but. It was uh, it was very good. Look, we we got about two minutes left, three minutes left okay. with Joe Denon's own. And uh, I, look, what's the what's the future look like beyond? The shows that are coming up. Uh, do you have a you have a one year plan, a five year plan? Are you a bucket list guy? Uh, you've done so much. Are you uh, are you the type that has set goals coming for the next couple of years? Um, well, my immediate future is you know promoting the heck out of this album, and uh, we're doing a bunch of shows um, this month. We're playing in Indiana, in Chicago, in Wisconsin, Cleveland, uh, in Binghamton, uh, in New the New York area. Um, I'm also doing shows with. Um, I just did a week with uh, my other group, Sweet Plantain, which is a Latin jazz string quartet. Um, and we're going to be collaborating with uh, Renaissance, um, the, the, 70, the, the prog band that was big in the 70s with Annie Haslam. We're doing, uh, at the end of the month, we're playing Town Hall in New York City on the 28th. Um, and we're also playing Richfield Playhouse and um, Keswick Theater in Vieg in Albany. And that, they're going to record a concert DVD. And I'm going to do an electric violin solo with those guys. Um, which I'm really excited about. Um, beyond that, I'm going to write some new music, uh, maybe record some more stuff. Um, and uh, I'm also trying to 
push my electric violin concerto. I performed, I wrote a concerto, which was a big bucket list thing of mine. Um, it's a rock concerto. I premiered it with the Muncie Symphony uh, in 2015, and I just performed it over the summer. And I'm, I'm looking for more orchestras to perform that with and hopefully record it. So those are a few things, you know. Yeah, well, listen, congratulations on the, on the new uh, record. It's excellent. It's just wonderful. Everyone should go out and buy it. And uh, don't illegally download it. Buy the damn thing. And uh, Joe Denon's Thanks for own. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Denon's own. Uh, congratulations on, on what's uh, turning out to be just a wonderful career. Still going strong. And give us your website in closing and tell people where they can buy the album. You can get the album on MelodicRevolutionRecords.com and also on my website, JoeDenonZone.com and stratosphereus.com, which is our band. Oh, Joe, thanks a million for being here, and let's do a, a part two one of these days. I would love to. Thanks for having me. Joe Denon's own. Everyone, get the new album and check him out October 31st. Go to his website, as he, as he pointed out, and, and please get there and buy this record. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down.